is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Hey folks, you miss us? I know, you know, maybe a week hiatus, some of you are on the edge of your seat thinking about how am I going to get my most in-depth soccer coverage leading into the domestic league season starting. And we decided, you know, give you a gift. Not hear from us, focus in on the TV, get ready for a, what should be a thrilling domestic season all across Europe. Welcome back to FUVFC. I am Keenan Troy with Dylan Balsamo and Danny Perry on WFUV's only soccer podcast. Dylan, how are we doing? I'm doing great. It's great to see you guys. I don't like when we have a week off, but here we are having to do it anyway. But there's, there's so much to discuss. The domestic league is done. You know, this crazy international summer we had is, is about wrapped up now, but still so much to talk about, which is crazy. Yep, yep. As we always say on here, it just keeps on keeping on. Nothing we can really do about stopping soccer, or time for that matter. And then to Danny, how are we doing, Danny? I'm doing good. I definitely miss you both last week. I have some withdrawals from international soccer, that's for sure, with the Olympics ending, and then we had, you know, all those cups going on beforehand. So it's going to be interesting, but here we are talking about domestic league stuff and some retirement. So let's let's get going. Yeah, let's. And so, I mean, as we've already teased in the start of the show here, domestic leagues in Europe are back. So for, and back with fans. So I know the past year for the, some of those clubs not having fans within the stands, it's nice to see everybody back out there enjoying the game and it becoming that staple of European culture. But starting off in England, we see, you know, a pretty good match week one. A lot of people would say a lot of big teams performed. Arsenal doesn't perform, but that's Arsenal. But then we got treated to a t- big six matchup on Sunday morning over here in the U.S. And it was Man City versus Tottenham, where Tottenham under Nuno Espirito Santo, his first year in charge there, really come out and shut City down and kind of punch him in their mouth when it's turned because it's their time for that uh, first title defense. Dylan, what were your thoughts on that, uh, that clash on Sunday morning? It was uh, so entertaining. And, you know, to, to your well, first off, to your point earlier about – you know, seeing fans back and, and things being nice. You know, it was such a relief to see it, and that's just, you know, here across the pond. I would imagine over in Europe the fact that fans are back after not only uh, a quarantine of not getting to go see matches, but also a quarantine that saw um, almost the destruction of European football as we know it with the Super League. There was so much tension around things. And now the fact that that's all done, and here we are back in the system as we know it, and fans are there to see it, uh, it's incredible. And the fans there... Um, in Tottenham uh, the other morning were treated to such an event. But, you know, it really was interesting to watch Man City um, kind of come in with their arms crossed, thinking that this was, this was not a game we were going to have to worry too much about. 
But as you mentioned, this is a big six matchup. You know, um, they really couldn't treat it like that. And uh, Tottenham really made them pay for it. Definitely, definitely. You see Sun's lone goal is that all that separated the two teams. City, you know, played City football. But to Dylan's point, I don't think I really saw a sense of urgency. So now we kind of got to think, Danny, moving forward. City, obviously the favorites in Euro- in England, if not Europe, probably up there with PSG. How do they keep their composure with such a, you know, deep lineup with such a star-studded cast that they have assembled there in Manchester? How do they keep level after a shocking loss to start their season? Well, I must say it's it's going to be challenging because only one team has won the league after losing their first game of the season. So they're going to have to find it within their roster, within their hearts. They have to remember they were champions, and, and that means they have to bring back not the cockiness of, of winning a championship, but what got you to win that championship. They have to bring that mentality, that work ethic, that play back. I, I, don't, I don't think that this does determine what the rest of the season looks like for them. Maybe it's that motivation that they need. If, um, if you're asking me, I, I don't mind I don't mind a loss to remind a team, hey, you know, it's go time. You're not celebrating anymore. But it, it's going to – that urgency needs to come back. You know, they, they, need, a, they need other teams to respect them, and you, you're not, you're not going to get respected the way they played the other day. Yeah, and I think, you know, humility seems to be a point you're emphasizing there, Danny. And I think especially in the Premier League compared to maybe, you know, Bundesliga or Serie A or Liga and you don't see the transparency in soccer that's present in the Premier League. And I always think, at least since I've really started watching Premier League soccer, that the Premier League is very humbling in the sense that Brentford, a Watford, a Brighton, you know, they can dog you for 90 minutes and put on that pressure, be firm in the back, and maybe squeak out with a win, a draw, or a tight 1-0 loss. But enough about England. You know, it didn't come home. We know that. I don't think they like too much of the focus on them right now. We see Barcelona win dominantly four to two. I think it ended up being could have been five. They might have gotten a late one, but in the first game, post Messi era. And so, Dylan, I just got to ask you. You know, you figured Barcelona would show up because they're such a big and powerful club. But how long do you see them maybe not clinging to this narrative, but the narrative existing around this post Messi era? Will the players ever be able to? Because I can't imagine that. You know, at least for this season, if not for the next season. As long as Messi's playing high-level soccer, they're always going to say, why isn't he there? What if? Yeah, it's, it's always – for one thing, it's always going to stink. This is not the kind of <clears> – excuse me. This is not the kind of thing that goes away eventually. This is always going to – it's always going to feel like that. Always, always, always. And Barcelona fans are unfortunately just going to have to deal with that. That being said, the idea of continuously playing in the post-Messi era, uh, that is a mentality – seems completely unsustainable to me. Uh, so th- they're not going to be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to this weekend, I was a little surprised that they were able to be so dominant this weekend. And, you know, obviously you can talk about the emotional impact of losing a guy like Messi. And, and for the fans, you know, perhaps it was encouraging to see a superstar while leaving your team show so much loyalty and the fact that he wanted to stay there and the fact that he – cried over it publicly for the entire world to see. That's an encouraging thing to see as a fan. But, you know, when, when you look at this Barcelona team, um, what's, what's interesting about it is, you know, like I mentioned, it just does not seem sustainable that they could continue to play like that. I was surprised they were able to uh, be so good in this first game, mostly because from what we heard, the post-Messi Barcelona um, stature 
um, as a business is, is economic disaster. Um, the team financially is in a terrible place right now. So I really thought that was going to reap its benefits or more accurately lack thereof on the team uh, come game day. Um, but that didn't happen. So good for them. And, you know, La Liga – La Liga is not the Premier League. I, it's not as many teams who can, who can, as you mentioned, dog you for 90 minutes and try and steal three points from you. It's just not really going to happen as often. That being said, there are, of course, there are a lot of good teams in La Liga, but for Barcelona, you, you, can, still inspe- you can still wind up in that top three, I think. Um, but, you know, the idea of just playing with that ferocity in a post-Messi era and always back at him, even for this whole season, just – it does not seem like something that they can withhold for an entire season of domestic football. Yep. Danny, yeah, go. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with Dylan there. You know, for anyone saying no messy, no problem, I think that lasted for about, it's going to last for maybe a game, maybe two, maybe three. You brought up the economic issues. I believe I just saw a fixture. It was like 1.9 or 1.6 billion in debt that, that uh, Barcelona is in, and that's not going to be fixed, especially when you don't have possibly the world's greatest soccer player no longer in on your you know on your team, playing for your squad, generating fans. I think that they were even like ten thousand fans short of their usual numbers. Whether that's COVID or Messi, you you be the judge to decide. But it's gonna be a problem when you're trying to bring in fans and you're trying to get a club out of debt. I'm worried about the club. I, uh, I I think that they will run into problems. They're not going to go and dominate forever without Messi. It's one game. Just like we were just speaking, um, you know, you can lose your first game, you can win it. I don't think that determines what your season's going to look like. Right, and I th- think if I may chime in on the Messi situation, I think with Messi's departure, and speaking more broadly about a team like Barcelona, I mean, I guess it's applicable to a lot of teams throughout Europe now, but Messi's one of the – if you count Ter Stegen as part of it, there was that – Messi's the last remaining player from his days with David Villa, with the, with the exception of PK and Busquets. So two guys left of the David Villa era, the Iniesta, the Iniesta era, the Xavi era, and then into the Messi-Suarez-Neymar era. There's only got two guys left. And I think something that, you know, I think Barcelona really prided itself on was, at least in our lifetime, there were guys that were Barcelona talents for life. And so now with Messi gone, you know, you think you think a little bit more loosely about who's going to be there for the long term in terms of, a, you know, a picture just because of how fast these leagues are moving players in and around. And speaking of, you know, loyalty and, you know, protecting those players that you want to keep, we have to show some love to Erling Holland out of Dortmund in Germany because the man, not only is he a character on the field but, and off the field, but especially on the field, this man, I think I can say for all of us, just plays a style of soccer that's so in your face, so right at you, that it's not the finesse you see from a guy like Messi or Neymar. It's quite literally brute force. So, Dylan, I mean, you think Dortmund, like, obviously cherish the star, but just how good is this guy going to be for them and for how long? Well, honestly, <clears throat> you mentioned the style in which he plays. He's kind of like a hockey player. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's <clears throat> you know, incredibly physical, and, and he has – he has a certain type of power that we're not used to seeing in that top tier level of European football. That it's typically, you know, while there is a, a there is certainly a level of brutality and a level of, of force that is seen in La Liga and Premier League and Bundesliga and Serie A and all these leagues, um, it is it is not quite often so um, unapologetically powerful. And I think that's really what we see from 
Holland. Um, and, and you know, you if you're if you're Borussia Dortmund, you go well, fantastic. Um, and and if you're the rest of Bundesliga, you go, uh-oh, uh, because with a with a guy like him, if he can continue that kind of success um, at such a high level and sustain that. Um, that is going to affect the way the rest of the league is played as well. And every other team is going to have to level up to that level of ferocity and intensity and brutality and physicality in the way that you play and in the way that you score and all these different things. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a different way of playing the game. Not a, not a better or worse way, but a different way. And, you know, when you have a star, p- things tend to adjust to that. So that's going to be something for this league is going to have to look forward for. But, you know, for the American fan, who's trying to get more into European football, I would say, uh, you know, a, a guy like him is a great way into Bundesliga, especially considering, um, I believe this is the first year of a deal with ESPN for the German league. It and, is. They just got off Fox. Yeah, it was, it was a new deal, right? They just finished up with Fox. And now it's a whole new scope of people that, you know, who didn't have Fox Sports 1, but do have ESPN, an occasional ABC game on a Sunday afternoon. We're going to get to see this. So if you're... Uh, if you're an American uh, soccer fan, you go, oh, wow, this is great for people watching the European game with us. This is a guy who you're going to want to see. So that's great that everyone's going to see him in that spotlight. But the key to this matter is uh, he's an incredible force to see, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him more. I love seeing soccer players that aren't just dancing and, you know, getting around people like the Ronaldos and the Messis. I do love that physical, you know, brute kind of character that he possesses. He's a sensation. I mean, he, he can't, he doesn't just score. He assists also, which I love. It's not like, you know, he's physical and could just put the ball in the back of the net. No, he does other things too. And that's what makes him this up and coming superstar. Um, I think that he's going to be somebody that Americans do love to watch. And I'm one of those (laughs) and not just Americans, but everybody watching soccer. It's nice to see that like Dylan, you said the hockey style. I don't know what I don't know what he is. He's just he's like the Hulk in a soccer uniform, and, or Thor, I should say. He looks like Thor, <laughs> and it's it's nice to see him start their season off with with a fire and and something fun to look forward to. I would say also uh, before you jump back in here, is that like you know we talk about how it's a it's a it's a more physical style and it's something we like to see and that's certainly not to say that we don't like that other kind and i'm sure danny agrees with me here it's just that everybody plays like that so right. it's you know you look at there's definitely differences i would say between ronaldo and Messi. you know ronaldo i think is just such a incredible athlete that just you know, anytime he steps on the pitch it's just a whole different game um Messi to me is more of a craftsman almost like a almost like a ballerina and I, and I don't mean that in a, in a feminine way at all, more in just like a very, a very particular style. And mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like a dance. It's almost it's like a very dance. technical. Yes. It's, it's light on your feet. I think that uh, Holland, he, he can show us more of what Americans can do because I don't think that Americans are trained to play like Messi. And that's what I've seen growing up. I don't think that we're fancy with our feet. I don't think that we're light on our feet, but you know, playing fast, powerful, strong, I think that's something that soccer players here can look at and be like, I can do that or I can be similar to that. So it's just a style that I would say, like you said, Dylan, it's not that, you know, one is better than the other, but I think that it's something that we 
as athletes in America could relate to more because, you know, we have American football here and that's what it reminds me of is just being physical and tough and, and getting the job done. <clears throat> Certainly more American boys and girls across the country as the sport grows more and more. Probably see that number nine in the Dortmund signature yellow more often than we think. But speaking of, you know, future stars, I think the U.S. women's national team, you know, had to bid adieu to a, a current star and a current legend in Carly Lloyd as she announced her club retirement this past week or country retirement. Um, and over, I mean, you look at her force on the United States women's national team. Danny, how do you replace such a player? We know that she was kind of getting, you know, less minutes, especially in this past Olympics. But how do you replace a player with that much significance for the club, for the, you know, inside the dressing room and also on the field? Um, I would first of all say that you, I don't think you could ever mimic who Carly Lloyd was to the team. You can be your own leader, and that's what the younger players like Tobin Heath, Chris and Press, that's what I expect them to do is take on that form of leadership in their own way. But there'll never be another Carly Lloyd, and that's okay. I mean, what astonishes me is I really feel like this was a selfless move. move. I think she wanted to retire don't get me wrong i think she wanted to start a family and all that stuff but i think she could have kept playing if she wanted to but i saw in some statements before her retirement she felt like possibly they didn't do as well in the olympics because they're holding on to players like her who can still play but maybe they aren't what is best for the team they're not best for rebuilding the United States team to compete with all these up and coming women's teams that are keeping, you know, their players young and fresh and fast. Regarding Carly Lloyd, I mean, I think the most amazing and unprecedented stat about her was that she scored 36 goals from when she was 23 starting with the team to 30, but from when she was 30 to now she scored 92 goals. So I don't think you're ever going to find a player that actually does better in the latter part of their career than Carly Lloyd. 312 caps. Uh, I, the U.S. record was 257 wins, 17 draws, and 38 losses with her, an 88% winning percentage. She She's played in four World Cups, four Olympic Games. You can't be Carly Lloyd. You can go and try to be somebody else somebody great and you will be but you, you you know there's not another carly lloyd i think her greatest statement that she made and something that i think every player whether you're young or you're a professional you should think about is that she was most proud of the fact that she was able to consistently be unapologetic unapologetically her through her whole career and i love that about her it's it's sad you know to see a player like her go but I think at the end of the day, it's better better for the team in some sick way. You know, seeing a leader like that, it's hard. But at the end of the day, I really don't know how much players did look up to her. It's a, It seems like it's very confined. There was certain things that happened in the Olympics that if you paid attention to, like she would be the only one standing on certain matches. So I don't know how much she really did lead inside the locker room on the field is another story though you know obviously she scores goals i'll never forget the olympics uh when she scored the crazy hat trick in in a ridiculous amount of time but you know at the end of the day there's again no replacing her i think this was the greatest decision for her for her future and for the team you know it's interesting Danny. the way you just spun that 
almost sounded like the conversation we just had about Holland of like, this is a certain style and you're not going to you may not see it in different places. It doesn't mean one's better or worse. It, it's just funny how it turned out like that, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the, the greatest of players are ones that cannot be uh, imitated in any kind of way. And you'd be a fool to try to be mm-hmm. um, because that style is so particular to them. It's, it's just, it, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, but, you know, you also brought up how she was able to not only sustain a level of success in her career, but, uh, but it exponentially grew. And I think that does kind of give a testament to just how good this women's team has been for really a decade at this point when they, uh, they were good before that, but it just hit a whole new level eventually. Um, you know, what is unfortunate about this period of time and seeing Carly retire, it does, it does kind of feel like um, the, the, end, the end of an era here. If we have hit the end of a road in some sort of way for this U.S. team, but, you know, as you mentioned, this is a very selfless move in a lot of ways by Carly Lloyd um, in trying to improve this program and in, in improve U.S. women's soccer and make sure that the system that they, uh, she and her teammates throughout this last decade and a half have worked so hard to build is able to be maintained. This is not just a fluke of a generation of U.S. women's soccer players. This is a program built to um, maintain itself and continue to be a top two, three, maybe hopefully continue to be the top women's soccer program. Uh, I I say program and I really just mean nation um, on, on the planet. So, you know, obviously credit to Carly Lloyd and the tip of the cap for an incredible international career. We'll see what she chooses to do next. As you mentioned, she might be choosing to have a family now at this point, perhaps she'll come back as a coach eventually. Um, But at the end of the day, this, you can't say it was the right or wrong move, but for Carly Lloyd, you can understand the move and you can really, really, really respect it. I can only hope, and again, this is hard for me to say because I, I do genuinely love seeing these players play for our nation, but I only hope players like Rapino, Becky Sauerbrunn, and other veteran players that can't perform at 100 and I'm not saying Carly Lloyd cannot perform at 100%. You can see that she changed her style throughout the years, and she was more productive in her latter years than earlier, but players that are kind of holding the team back from rebuilding at such a crucial time because they didn't do well in the, these Olympics, I, I kind of hope that they could only be as selfless as Lloyd was. I do want to correct myself. It was the World Cup that she scored the hat trick in. I wanted to say that. But, you know, again, her consistent production, dedication, and constant self-improvement is something that if you want to try to be a good leader, those are things that you can do that Carly Lloyd did do, but you'll never replicate her. And, you know, she was just amazing for this program. Speaking of how the messy era ended, as Dylan, you kind of touched upon, kind of this, you know, older not to call Carly Lloyd old because that's insulting, but, you know, a certain, you know, a generation that's been playing women's national team soccer for the United States for what seemed like forever is kind of running out of those players. And then, you know, the casual fan has to be introduced to new players. And so before we leave real quick, I just wanted to ask, you know, we talked about, oh, can we exist in a messy level, messy era forever, post messy era, you know, until Messi retires. But with Carly Lloyd leaving the women's national team, I think a question might be asked is we, are we going to see a new style of play? Or are we going to see, you know, a continued dominance? So Danny, I was just wondering, like, does Carly Lloyd, cause we saw how limited she was in the Olympics as well. Does her departure, you know, really take anything from this team besides, you know, the intangibles that, you know, only a woman with over 125 caps can, you know, provide. 
So I think one one player, like I mentioned, so if she is the only veteran to kind of remove herself, I don't know if we see much of a difference. But I think we'll have a different conversation if three or four players decide to do the same move because then you're you're opening the door for new talent and, and younger players. So whichever way you look at it, there has to then be a new style or a new face to this team. So I don't think it's going to happen with just one player departing. I think it's going to happen if the players I mentioned depart as well. I think for female athletes especially, they do have to retire earlier if they're not having a family during their career. You know, she's 39, so she has to start you know having a family now if she if she kind of wants to do that so i do think there's a difference between female and men's soccer players or athletes right there which you know it, it that that's just biology for you but <laughs> but uh with that being said i think it'll happen only you know if a few of them leave i don't think it's going to happen just with her departure so i kind of hope that we have some more spots open up and that then gives the coach opportunities to bring the players up and and move around and see what works because that's what we need to do but we cannot see what works with somebody departing who maybe started maybe didn't start and kind of was filling in and rotating with the forwards well you, you know what's interesting guys is you know obviously it's a, it's a very different conversation than the one we're having right now if you know, if, if two or three more of these veterans also hang it up internationally um, following this tournament, perhaps they will in the coming weeks. Who knows? But that being said, I'm still not sold on if, um, if, if that system is really going to change all too much. Because, like, at least from what I've gathered, this system is not Carly Lloyd. This system is not Megan Rapinoe. This is as talented as, as they are and forces as they have been in the international women's game now for – as we keep saying, like 10, 15 years at this point. Um, this is an American women's system that, at least to me, has just seemed to have found, found their right winning way, have found their correct winning style that we see, you know, it, you know it, obviously the men's game has much, more spot, has much more of a spotlight on it. So we see, you know, the specific English way that the English men's team plays or the, the, germ, the way the Germans play or the way the Spanish play or the way the Brazilians, the Argentinians play. It seems to me that the U.S. women have figured out how Americans play soccer. It's something that most people have in some ways failed to figure out at this point. But it does seem like a solidified style to me at this point. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But, you know, at least to me, that seems like um, something that, you know, we talk about the men's team. We've talked about their um, their success recently that has not really, at least not to me, been completely tangible yet. Um Perhaps it's something they can learn from, of like, you need to pick a specific style and build a system around it. Because to me, as good as Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe have been and will continue to be in their legacy, um, it, it is a style, it is a system that, that, uh, that, lifts, this, uh, that lifts this American team up. I don't, I don't know if I can, at this point of time, agree, only because it seems like when Abby Wambach departed yes we had our successes but there was carly lloyd bringing us back you know like in in the world cup and all that stuff i don't know if we're going to see an incline right away i think we're going to actually see either this plateau or a decline because i don't know if the u.s women's team is grasping the reality that there are other nations that are getting funding to be just as good as, as them because I don't think their style is anything special. I think that they're usually, not last night, they're usually fast, urgent, score goals, and ha have a hell of a defense. But what happens when other nations now funded their women's programs and they're doing the same thing? Then we have 
a U.S. team that's mediocre and wins bronze. So I think that there is a style change that needs to happen. Not Maybe it's not a style change, but it's just an implementation of new faces, more speed, a better defense. You know, we're we're old. That's all I can say is we're old and we need fresh faces. Like stop clinging on to the what was and we have to grasp on to the what will be. And maybe it might be ugly for a little bit, but we, we do need to experiment in my opinion now because the old faces that we once knew, they're, they're getting to that point of Carly Lloyd and we need to change it because there's other nations better than us and that's just hands down in my opinion. But that's my little take. Certainly lots of questions to be asked. And, you know, right after you, as Danny mentioned, settled for bronze, you think, okay, we'll have enough time to retool before the Women's World Cup. But now you have Carly Lloyd stepping down and then questions about the new direction seeming to emerge. But so goes the game of soccer. So that wraps up our show for the week. Um, looking forward to a great week of domestic level play and then you know hopefully not any big news like one of the faces of your women's national team program retiring but you never really know these days you never really know maybe somebody will absorb Barcelona and they'll go play in the Saudi league who knows well but we'll just have to see so for uh, Dylan Balsamo Danny Perry I'm Keenan Troy take care guys catch you next week